as direct as the other ones, but it's a divine turning point. And so I really believe God has something for us from this wonderful uh, story in the life of David that I pray that we can glean some things from. But 1 Samuel chapter 30, 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to read to us the first three verses, which really uh, sets up um, the, the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, the Bible says in verse 1, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Father, we pray right now that you would help us to glean the truth anchored in this powerful story, a divine turning point really in the life of David. I pray, Father, that you would help us to, uh, to walk away with some tools to help us as we navigate life, as we have our own divine encounters with you, as we walk this walk of faith. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. I think it's safe to say that in our country and world, our world knows a lot about monumental moments, uh, good things and even horrific things, wars, movements, political issues, racial tensions. We can go on and on and on. Our world knows a lot about defining moments. You know what a defining moment is. It's something that has set the trajectory or marked a person's life. Uh, it could be the birth of a child. It could be a wedding. Hey, boo. You know, amen. It could be uh, a health situation. It could be a loss of a loved one. Being a care pastor, I could get a chance to sit with people going through divorces or going through a grieving process. Um, people are experiencing all the time defining moments. And we all will find ourselves in those rhythms, in those seasons of defining moments. And if there's anybody in scripture that knows what it's like to experience several, if not many monumental moments, it will be David. I mean, here's a man who is a great man of God, but by the time we come to 1 Samuel 30, uh, contextually, David's really not in a good place. Chapter 27, 28, and 29 can be summed up like this. No vision, no passion, and no action. Here's a man who has been anointed king, but yet he's still on the run, running for his life. Scholars agree that David possibly is discouraged, frustrated, living out in the middle of nowhere in a place called Ziklag, just trying to survive. And what's interesting about this, I read this book called The Making of a Man of God by Alan Redpath. The Making of a Man of God by Alan Redpath. Listen to what he says about uh, David at this particular time as we set up our story. He says this, that David had lost his vision because he had forgotten God's promises and ceased to believe in God's power. He had doubted God's ability to protect him against the enemy. Therefore, he had lost everything because he had become bankrupt of vision. A man conservatively on the run 
14 to 17 years of his life before he even took office. He's in a rough place. And it's just like God to get his attention and to get our attention. And so if you believe in the sovereignty of God, and I pray that you do, under the sovereign hand of God, God goes to work on David. And the lesson we learned from this story this morning is this, that God often uses defining moments to draw us back to him. God often uses defining moments to draw us back to him. Now, here's the question I want to raise this morning. How do we respond when we're faced with a defining moment? How do we respond when we're faced with you fill in the blank? You ask great questions on a beautiful Friday morning at 947 a.m. I want to give you three thoughts here. We're going to hang some meat on this, but three thoughts here. The first thought is outside of our control, but the next two we have to own. So how do we respond when our life is shaken? The first thought is outside of our control, but we just have to receive it. Number one, God allows pain to hit home. God allows pain to hit home. The scripture I just read earlier, the, the home base for David at this time is in a region of Judah, a place called Ziklag. This was his home base. This is where he and his 600 men, along with their, uh, the wives and the children, this is where they would camp out as they are just trying to survive in a dry and weary place. Ziklag, home base. What did Dorothy say? There's no place like home. But yet, as that's his home base, we're introduced to an enemy called the Amalekites. This terrorist group was specialized in stealing and just taking whatever they wanted. And they, uh, you know, went and stole stuff. And here they come to uh, the, the, the place called Ziklag. And there they are. They take what they want. They take the women and the children. And these jokers set the place on fire and they left. This is not good. This is not a good thing. David is already in a place of vulnerability. He's already frustrated. He's already just trying to survive. He just wants to come home, see his family, but he comes home to a mess. I think it's safe to say that right now all hell has broken loose in David's life. Has there anybody ever been there before? One thing after another thing after another thing after another thing. And you just look up and you say, what is going on? Can you imagine a thought that he's thinking right now? Because the narrator tells us that the women and children were taken. But at this juncture right now in David's life, he probably is thinking, what happened to his wife? Did, did, did they die? Did they kill them? Where are they? And just as it is with crisis, it just gets worse. Because the Bible tells us, if you go down to verse 4, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also have been taken captive and a home of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Now listen, they cried. Now this wasn't some cute crying like tears of joy. This was crying that reached deep down in the soul. You ever cried to where you had no more strength left? There he is. He's weeping. He's crying because his wife and his kids are taken. And it gets worse. The Bible says in verse 6, 
And David was greatly distressed. Here's why. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Now, <laughs> everybody's coming home to a mess. You're already trying to survive. You come home to this chaos. Everything's gone. You're left with a lot of questions. You're weeping so you have no more strength to weep. And now everybody's turning on you. Parenthetically speaking, leadership is a hard place. David, we're out here trying to fight with you, man. We're out here trying to survive and serve alongside you. We come home. We want to rest. They're gone. Somebody got to go. You got to go, bro. Well, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? David's in a situation and circumstance that he cannot change. There's nothing he can do physically to alleviate the pressure that's squeezing in around him. What does he do? Oh, the Bible tells us what he does. The Bible tells us what he does. Look at the latter part of verse 6. But David, here's the turning point, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I'm in a circumstance that I cannot change. Life has knocked me down. There's nothing I can physically do to alleviate this pressure. People talking about killing me. But David says, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord, my God. The beautiful word here for strengthen here in the Hebrew literally means, when he says to strengthen himself, it means to grow firm. It means to, to gird on. It means to bind on. David's not girding himself in the next positive book that's being released by New York Times. David is not strengthening himself by the latest popular opinions of the day. No, David says, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. Stop right there. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, which is the name that speaks of God's covenant commitment to his people. David says, my world is shaking, but I'm going to bind myself to the Lord who's committed to me. But not only that, he's also his God. Elohim, which means that God is the ruler over everything. That God has the final say-so over my situation. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God has the last word. Not your friends, not CNN, not the culture. God always has the last word over our lives. And David says, I'm going to strengthen myself in the God who's committed to me and the God who runs everything, even in the midst of a chaotic situation. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what's waiting for you as this week comes to an end. I don't know what pressures and challenges you're going to face as you go back home. I don't know the health situations. I don't know, but God knows the unspoken. God knows the, 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 the weighty heart. God knows all of that. And here's my encouragement to all of us. Can we as a people today strengthen ourselves in the Lord, our great God? One of my favorite passages in the Bible that really is an exposition of what it means to strengthen ourselves in the Lord is Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4, which says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. 
In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? By the way, David wrote that. We have to get to a place where we don't listen to ourselves, but we speak God's truth to ourselves. We have to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So my life is shaken. The, 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 the carpet's been pulled, so to speak. God has allowed it for what it was. It is what it is. I cannot run from it. My best, my best drive now is to strengthen myself in the Lord. So God allows defining moments to draw us back to him. And so he allows pain to hit home. But here's where it gets very applicational for us. The second thought I want to lift up is this. I must reestablish my focus. I must reestablish my focus. Where do I get that from? Drop your eye down to verse 7 and 8. And David, David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David, is, his life is shaken. He strengthens himself in the Lord. And David goes straight in to prayer. It's interesting. We are so spoiled today. We have a complete canon of scripture. I got different Bible apps on my tablet. So do you on your device. And then we got the physical word of God with us. David didn't have all that. When he needed a word from God, he had to go to a prophet or to a priest. He goes to a priest. The priest had an ephod, which is a sleeveless garment. According to the Mosaic law, it was used to discern the will of the Lord. And so David grabs hold of this thing for dear life. And he says, God, shall I go after them? And in so many words, God says, yep, you go get them. Go get your boo. Go get your children. Go get them. Now, this was a cinematic movie minus the Hollywood influence. Cue the music. Lean forward. This is when it's on, as they used to say, like popcorn. David is now, in the words of Rocky Balboa, he has the eye of a tiger. He sought God for himself. God says, go for it. So David and the 600 men, they're making their way. They're, they're searching, they're searching, they're searching, they're searching. They're trying to find where these guys are. And they just so happen to run into an Egyptian slave who is a, a slave of the Amalekites who raided the land. But David doesn't know this. David just so happens to run into him. And David, who's a man after God's heart, who loves people, he sits this brother down. He feeds him. I promise you it's in the story. You just read it for yourself this afternoon. And there he is. He's feeding the brother. And he begins to inquire, hey, tell me about you. Tell me where you come from. And this guy's like, man, I, I'm, I'm a slave uh, with the Amalekites. I felt sick a few days ago. And they just left me. And they just raided some lands. They raided this place called Ziklag. Here this young brother has no idea who he's talking to is a man who's directly affected by this tragedy. David says, oh, you're part of that group? Please, please take me somewhere. The man, this is pretty funny, he says, all right, I'll take you. But promise you ain't going to kill me. He says, I'm not going to kill you. So if you drop your eye down to verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing. How dare they? Because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Look at verse 17. 
can't make this stuff up. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Oh, my goodness. David sees these, these, these guys are partying and acting as if they, they just stole the greatest thing since sliced bread. And David says, oh, no, we, we, this is going to stop right now. And there he is. He goes off. And maybe somebody might say, well, well, well why so violent? It's too much. This is too much. Well, um, let me ask the men a question. The brothers in here, I should see every hand go up. If not, we have to have a come to Jesus moment. How many men in here would do whatever they would do to get their family back safe? Those have a problem with this violence, hey, every man in here is in agreement. Hey, he had to do what he had to do. He had to get his wife and his children. And notice what happens. The Bible says, verse 18, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rested his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. God brought about now, let's stop here and make some application to this because we know defining moment, God allows pain to hit home, and we have to reestablish our focus. This dynamic episode, this is a beautiful one, this dynamic episode teaches us a few things on what it means to reestablish my focus. This applies to any, any, any circumstance you're facing in your life. How do I reestablish my focus when I'm faced with my world being shaken? The first thought is very straightforward and simple. Seek God's will. Seek God's will. David, in his turning point, he strengthens himself in the Lord, and then he goes right into, Lord, what do you want me to do? Could it be that God has allowed our worlds to be shaken because he's not picking at us, but could it be because he's trying to get us to lean into him, seek him? This is not foreign in scripture. We see this in Jeremiah 29 when, when Israel, because their sin choices, they're in Babylon, and the prophet Jeremiah even speaks a word to them, and he says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Israel, you're in this place because of your sin choices. I sent you there. But if you seek me, you'll find me. Let that be a challenge for us. Whatever you're facing, fall on your knees and ask God, what do you want me to do. I promise you it's not wasted time. So if we're going to reestablish our focus, number one, we seek God's will. But number two, we act on what God tells me to do. Act on what God tells me to do. Again, this is the principle of obedience seen all throughout scripture. David, after he gets the confirmation from God, he moves forward. He moves forward in obedience. And isn't it, isn't it comforting to know you're obeying God? 
we, we can withstand a whole lot knowing that we're doing what God's called us to do. So whatever God tells you to do as you seek him, act on what he tells you to do. Have the courage, have the faith, have the, have the persistence to lean into that because God is taking you somewhere. Seek God's will. Act on what God tells you to do. But this is, this is, my, this is one of my favorite ones here when it comes to reestablishing our focus. Number, number three, take comfort in God's confirmation. Uh, I love this one. Take comfort in God's confirmation. Did you know the Bible says that by two or three witnesses, a matter is settled or confirmed? The Bible says that by two or three witnesses, a matter will be settled or confirmed. What am I getting at? When God brings confirmation in your life, you'll see his confirmation at least twice. At least twice. You look at me like I'm strange. Uh, Tony Evans wrote a wonderful book on the life of Joseph. And he made this wonderful observation about this principle. He says, when the Lord shows up twice in your life in a similar fashion, pay attention. He is talking. It's not bad luck. It's not good luck. It's not chance. It is God confirming he is doing this on purpose because God is giving you a double witness. You see this in many places in the Bible. You see this with Gideon in the fleece twice. You see this in the life of Joseph in the several different dreams more than twice. You see this in the life of Paul many times more than twice. God specializes in giving you double witness. I can tell you many times in my own life, my wife and I, as the Lord has navigated us from one assignment to the next, more than twice has he confirmed what he wanted us to do. All I'm trying to get you to see is this. Pay attention to the double witness God has given to you. You see this in 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 David's story here. He prays, God answers. It wasn't chance that he runs into an Egyptian. God gave him a double witness. It wasn't chance that he saw the field. Of, of the enemies partying with his stuff, God was giving him, as he's walking in obedience, a double witness to say, you're right where I'm calling you to be. And this is why we cannot shortchange our walk with God. This is why we need to see with the eyes of faith. This is why we need to stay in community, because God is speaking far more than we are listening. And so as our life is shaken, we need to seek God's will. We need to act on what he tells us to do. And we also need to pay attention to how God is confirming either way what he wants us to do. Which leads me to the fourth thought. To reestablish my focus finally means that I need to do all, do all that God tells me to do. Partial obedience is disobedience. David went on a mission, and he was going to carry it out. Those 400 young dudes, okay, all right, they, they, they escaped, but he, he, he did everything he was supposed to do. Whatever God tells us to do, we need, need, need to leave nothing out. Complete the assignment that God has given to you. So God allows pain to hit home. But then we need to reestablish our focus. We need to seek his will. We need to act in obedience. We need to take comfort in his confirmation. We need to do all that he tells us to do. But thirdly and finally, the the broad point, we need to share the fruits of victory. Share the fruits of victory. Verses 21 to 25, you'll see this as victory now. Amen. The families are back. Okay, the 200 men, by the way. 
stayed by the brook. They, they, they were tired and exhausted. So really, it was just David and his 400 guys. So now, the 400 that actually fought, they're back where the 200 were left off by the baggage because they were exhausted. The 200 are like, yeah, we got everything back. And the 400 are like, hold on now. Hold, hold, hold on, folks. You left us. Okay? Have your wives and your kids, but this extra stuff, no, nah, that's, that's, that's us. We, we got that. You, you can have your family, but we got this up here. So this confrontation just went on and on and on, and David had to step in. Look at verse 23. Interesting. As this confrontation is going on, David says, you shall not do so, my brother. Watch out. Look, look at the character of David here. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. Look at verse 25. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. You know what David is saying? When the Lord brings victory into our lives, we will share it equally with them. We're not going to hoard what God has done. We're going to give it away. David says, don't, don't go there and be selfish with the victory that you had no ability to accomplish anyways. It was God that gave us victory, David says. It was God that saw you through. It was the Lord. It wasn't us that has given us victory. Are you kidding me? I can't even make myself change myself. A dead man can't make himself live. But the power of God can. And so David says, no, we're not going to go there. We're, we're not going to be selfish with this victory. We're going to share it. As a matter of fact, we're going to share it with the 200 that sat by the baggage. We're going to share it with the leadership. And matter of fact, this is going to be a law in the land of Israel when I take office. That victory belongs to the Lord, not unto us, but unto him. The amazing character of David. So if you read the outcome, David shared the victory, not just with his men, but also with the leadership of Judah, even while he's in the midst of still crying out So, when God brings victory into our lives, jot this down. When God brings victory into our lives, number one, marvel at the grace of God. You do realize that it's the grace of God that woke us up this morning. You do realize it's the grace of God that's allowing us to experience beautiful creation. You realize it's the grace of God that has kept us. Aren't you glad that God is not only a God of a second chance, but he's a God of another chance? Because I used up my second chance a long time ago. We need to marvel at the grace of God. Ha ha have, you ever, have you ever just paused and thought about the grace of God in your life? I like the prayer journal. I like to write down my prayers and and, I, and it's, 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 I'm starting to build a little catalog, and a lot of times I'll go back and read and just see, see one, how jacked up I was spiritually, you know, just 
you know how it is. You see where you are, your journey with God and how anxious, how stressful. But then at the same time, you see the grace of God. You see him answering prayers. You see him carrying you through like you didn't think you could make it through that season. And here you are today. Hey, it, it was the Lord. It was the grace of God. And so when God brings victory into our life, we need to marvel at the grace of God. God did not have to do this for David. He didn't have to. But his grace was there. Marvel at the grace of God. Number two, always treat people right. Always treat people right. This is amazing. You see this in the character of David. Seeing this man walking in the desert by himself. Then he fulfills his assignment of taking out the enemy, and then he shares the spoils, the blessings with everyone. Can we get back to treating people right? Especially in the church. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Treat people with dignity. Treat people right, because we all are made in the image of God. We need to always treat people right, even when God brings victory in our lives. And, and ultimately, when God brings victory in our lives, Thirdly and finally, we need to understand that victory is not about us. It's about God. That's a threaded theme we see through the Bible. When God does a work in your life and my life, it's always a statement about himself. I'm not intellectually capable. I'm, 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 not, I'm not physically able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask. He's God. He's, he's able to do that. Victory is always about the Lord. So God often uses defining moments to draw us back to him. And we need to embrace that God will allow pain to hit home. But that should cause us to run to him to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And we need to reestablish our focus. We need to get after those items. But also understand that we must share the fruits of victory because here's the truth of the matter. God will come through. Maybe that's the sermon you need to preach to yourself today. God will come through. Now, however way he views what coming through means, but he will come through. So I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray for the person. Maybe you're here today. And I, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than let, let's all just bow our heads. But maybe you're here today and you're in a situation. You're in a circumstance or you've got something waiting on you as you get home this weekend. I want to read this verse over us in Psalm 46, verse 10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Father, I pray right now for my brother and sister, Lord, who Maybe it's dealing with something even now, it's unspoken or whatever it is, Lord, you, you're, well, you're well aware, you're well acquainted with the condition of every heart. I pray that we all today will strengthen ourselves in the Lord. That we bind ourselves to the God who's committed to us. That we look to you who has the final say so over everything. Pray, Lord, that we, 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 we live there, we abide there. Jesus would say that in John 15, that we abide in you. 
that we dwell with you. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us. You give us clarity, give us wisdom on how to navigate whatever that issue is, whatever that challenge is. But may we find comfort in knowing that at the end of the day, our life is in your hands. Peter would even say that you are our living hope, that we have a confident expectation of the, of the life to come. And so no matter what life is, we echo with Paul who says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We are in a win-win situation for the follower of Jesus. So Lord, help us as we walk through the challenges of life, as we navigate through life. Help us, Lord, to listen to you, to obey, and to celebrate and thank you in advance for the victories you're already going to do in our lives. Because if you can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, you can resurrect, you can navigate us, you can lead us through anything that we face in our lives. So may today, may this week, may our day today be a day of a turning point as we divinely encounter Jesus as we walk through life. Thank you, Father, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, would you give it up one more time for Brendan? Thank you so much.